We did raise capital. Um, our largest uh, funder uh, up until uh, a week ago was a company called Mistletoe, which is okay. Taizo-san, um, uh, the brother of Masayoshi-san and SoftBank, um, mm -hmm. and led by Atsushi Taira of Mistletoe, who was... Uh, a SoftBank executive for many, many years. So they've been quite literally fantastic uh, investors. They've been patient uh, and, you know, helped us when the market went down. Like, uh, I just can't say enough about how, how great uh, a set of investors they've been. Okay, and are you able to uh, share how much you raised? Uh, we raised in the neighborhood of 3 million um, over the last few years. Welcome to another episode of Taking You to the Top. In this podcast, Rami spends time speaking with founders and CEOs from across the globe and asks them specific questions to learn exactly how they built and launched their businesses. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Are you ready to take it to the top? All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 65 of Taking You to the Top. My guest today is Bob Reed. He's the co-founder and CEO of Everest. They incorporate a massively scalable payment solution with a multi-currency wallet and a native biometric identity system, delivering a complete solution. Bob, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rami. My pleasure. All right, Bob, uh, just to get us started, could you share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know? Interesting about me that people don't know. Um, <laughs> gosh, I was born, raised in Silicon Valley, about a mile away from Apple headquarters. And that was a fundamentally uh, formative thing. That is, you, right. you grew up and you know, you're nine years old and your dad starts talking about semiconductors and not competing with your customers and boom bust cycles. Um, right. You know, by the time you're 18 and go out in the world, uh, you know, you realize uh, you don't have, you didn't have the same upbringing as everybody else. So. Sure. Very interesting. Okay. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, you know, where are you from and a little bit about your upbringing just so we can, you know, have a full picture from beginning to end. Um, and were you entrepreneurial as a kid? Sure. So, uh, like I said, I was born and raised Silicon Valley, uh, did uh, undergraduate in political science and economics, which again were really formative. Uh, and got my MBA shortly thereafter. Uh, lived in Europe a little bit. Um, and then eventually got sucked into Silicon Valley, if you will, tech startups. Um, the more recent ones, I was a general manager of BitTorrent, uh, so BT, popularly known in some places. Mm -hmm. And that's really what got me hooked on peer-to-peer -peer technologies. Um, 
which led me ultimately to the blockchain. Uh, sure. In terms of entrepreneurship, uh, like as a kid, sure, I was always looking for an angle, right? There was always a, you know, how do you get a competitive advantage somewhere, somehow? Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I got a lot more sophisticated growing up uh, with very good mentors through, you know, a handful of good startups that in Silicon Valley that went public or got acquired or even failed. Uh, right. So, you know, through my 20s and 30s, uh, uh, I learned a whole lot. Sure. And did you, like, did you find anything that when you were younger, you were selling something or you were always, you know, trying to do some sort of a side hustle kind of thing? You know, uh, not as much as most uh, would think. What I okay. found is it, when I had to, I mean, like, here's what people don't realize about growing up in Cupertino, San Jose, Saratoga area. It's the children of the VPs of engineering and the CTOs that you go to school with. It is right. the most competitive, the most, in terms of concentration of high IQ individuals, it is the best I've ever seen. Really, it's just amazing. And so the reason I say that is I learned I had to work. I had to like put in 14 hours, 16 hours. Like you want to keep up and play it, uh, a game. Uh, if you want to play at a level that's that high, I literally learned I had to just work hard. Uh, sure. As opposed to do a side hustle. Okay. Clear. Um, all right, Bob, um, could you tell us uh, what Everest does? You know, to someone who hasn't heard anything about it before, how would you explain it? I would explain it as think of the nation of Estonia or India, where they've got the fundamentals of identity, accounts, money, transactions, like truly like, you know, what the governments, the banks and like a society runs. And what we did is we inverted the model where the user's at the center. Right, the user owns their own identity database. They own their own account. They own really. It's it's about them. And when you invert that, you can then give users well the ability of monetizing themselves, sharing only the data they want, um, doing the if you'll. It's their financial freedom. And so, it's a very big swing, as we call it in American English. Okay. Um, right. This is really about changing the way the world organizes itself. Right. And when you empower users to actually organize themselves, you end up with things well, like we're seeing in the real world today. Like you don't have Facebook monetizing you. You get to monetize yourself. Right. The, right. Uh, things like that. So. But could you give us maybe an example of, like, let's say you, you mentioned India or Estonia, someone there, how would they go about using your platform to sort of 
Good monetize question. themselves. So, I'll give you a sort of a, if you will, the platform of Everest does quite literally anything in a society, right? So you can vote, you can uh, send money, you can do supply chain, all of it. But if you will, the first use case we're seeing is what I would call the killer app is money, right? Okay. So users can, for example, um, in Europe or US or Australia to start with, um, send money to their friends across the world. So let's go ahead and say from Europe, they can send money to friends in Saudi Arabia or Philippines or wherever, mm -hmm. and they can do it in two or three minutes for, uh, well, half the price of Western Union. Okay. No, that makes sense. So it's using blockchain, basically. It's the same as you were to send any of you know those digital currencies to a, to a friend somewhere else. Correct. Uh, now, what we've done that's, uh, if you will, probably more interesting than others is we've made sure it's all regulatorily compliant. That is, you can't just zip around cryptocurrency around the world um, from wallet to wallet and not actually have to tell the government, right? Like if you're moving value across borders, you literally must uh, have some sort of transparency and compliance on that. And so we do that uh, really well, right? It's seamless. Um, and, and to your point, we do leverage blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies. Okay, so that's you as a platform that needs to be compliant. But is it, different, is it different for the end user? It's actually transparent to the end users. So the end no, user I mean, can... For, go ahead. Sorry, I, I just want to give you an example that you know, we see day to day here. For example, I want to send uh, you know, a wire transfer from Saudi to to the US or from Saudi to anywhere else in the Middle East. Uh, if it goes above a certain amount, I almost always get a call asking right. the reason for that transfer. Is that the case with blockchain and transferring digital currency? Yes, and in this case, um, you don't have to rely on the middleman of the bank that's issuing the wire transfer instruction. Sure. Right. And so in our case, that instruction can go across our platform. Uh, we automate all of the process. And even if it goes above a certain threshold, then we, if you will say, okay, well, this is the third time Rami's done this transaction this month. It's within his behavior. It's within the risk uh, rating. And so we automate literally all of that stuff mm -hmm. um, so that you don't have to get the call. Right. Okay. So all of that is sort of checked in the background. Correct. And it's, now, it's if you cross a, right. Now, if you cross a certain threshold, then our algorithms catch that and go, oh, that's, that's uh, really out of band. It's really above a certain threshold. We really need to do a little bit more diligence and literally we'll ask for more. The, well, better said, the platform asks for more information to make sure that the transaction is compliant. Okay. Transparent. 
And is part of this the KYC check that, that these yes. platforms do? Yeah, so we, we did a vertical integration of create an account, KYC, AML, CFT, PEP, sanctions, everything check in certain cases, right? Assuming you're doing overseas <laughs> transfers. I only, know, um, I only know one of those terms, but I'm, I'm yeah, assuming uh, most of them are related somehow. Yes, they are. Okay. Um, we then take deposits. So like a bank, like uh, we can actually take um, euros, dollars, pesos, et cetera. Mm -hmm. in we then actually uh, issue the instructions and execute the orders to places around the world and reconcile and settle all of that on the far side. Now, since okay. we've automated this with blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies, we can do it all in a couple of minutes and for a much lower cost than traditional institutions. Okay, and are you also issuing sort of like a bank card? We are, as a matter of fact. situation? So, okay. Um, we... We, how do I put this? Um, Visa has an interesting couple of programs. We were the semifinalists in two of their Visa initiatives um, and we're part of Visa Fast Track, which is a way for us to issue our own debit card. Um, so, okay. Yeah. So the, I, we've now reached two out of three parts. So there's the scalable payment solution, the multi-currency wallet, and what's the native biometric identity system? Oh, that's the core of everything. <laughs> um, okay. So if, again, I'll circle back to Estonia and India. Like if you yeah. want to build any society, it all fundamentally comes back to, are you who you say you are and can you prove it? Okay. Right? And we did a platform really at the, at the base and core of all of Everest is the identity platform where a user can scan in their biometrics and then they get to own those biometrics. Like literally Everest itself, I can't ever see what that identity is. I couldn't open it at gunpoint, right? Okay. And because we started with that, it well, it leads to a lot of different things. So it means, for example, you can do more than payments. You could actually vote with this. You can actually form communities with this. You can do more than like, as I put it, payments is, it's where all the money is. But if you look at it, all the payment guys, that's all they can ever do. You can't actually go vote with um, a money gram card, right? You can't go do the 10 other things that are in your wallet. Sure, like because it's not, it's not linked to the government system. Right. And by the way, you, even from there, like you can't, um, you can't take that and go if you'll get insurance. Whereas with our system, you can, right? So you can, it opens up, like I said, every application in society as opposed to just payments or banking. Okay. And in order for you to do that, did you have to, you know, get in touch with all the relevant government institutions to set all of that up? No, actually. So um, 
literally anyone can create an identity on Everest for free. Uh, by the way, no device required by the user even. All you have to do is take a selfie, right? Okay. Um, or have an agent take a picture of you, right? And then they can okay. set up the account uh, that way. And we actually did that in Indonesia. Um, and so if you want to, and just like identity verification in the normal economy, if you want to go buy something at the corner store for five bucks, you don't need to show your national identity, right? But do you and, have to do that when you vote? You do when you vote. And so there's this escalating uh, spectrum of identity verification depending on the service you want to do, right? And okay. so as I put it like... If you want to be a verified identity on a dating site, you need to have a Facebook account usually, right? They're not right. checking the government ID, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you're a little bit more like, okay, I want to you know, do something on an e-commerce site. For how much money? Like, okay, you need to have a Visa card, right? You need to have some level of verification, but it's still not, let me check your fingerprint, you know, facial biometry, et cetera, et cetera. And at the ultimate extreme is if you're dealing with, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or doing government uh, interactions, like then they want to actually check, do you have the foundational identity of a nation? And so we, we built our identity system scalable for that entire spectrum. So you can okay. go all the way up to like, here's two forms of biometry, you know, with anchor documents of a nation. Mm -hmm. and by the way, we scan in documents from 190 countries, right? So we're like, we're, we're good to go on that. But we go all okay. the way down to, hey, I'm just going to verify that I'm me, that I'm a unique human being. You get no data about me. And so okay. that's, and again, like being able to share that, I can do like, I can verify I'm over 21. You don't get to look at my bank balance, my me medical records or my Instagram account. Like, so we, sure. we put the user in charge of all of that identity uh, sharing capability. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw on your website that there is a health records section. So you're doing yeah. even active health records. Everything's right. up to date and you know people can access their health details straight from the app. Correct. So if you, as I usually show on a video, like if you pick up your physical wallet, like the one you carry around in your pocket every day and has your national ID or your passport sometimes, and it has your debit card and your credit card and your insurance card and your receipts and all the other things, like we digitized all of that. And so, like I said, like we're doing payments, here's credit, debit, crypto, multi-currency, we're also doing the identity card and all the different data there. And we're doing, for example, other interactions, for example, medical records. You can store your own medical records mm -hmm. and you can share those with a doctor for two hours, but nobody else. And he doesn't get to look at the rest of your wallet, that kind of thing. Okay. So again, uh, if you were to build a new community, nation where people were at the center instead of the government at the center, you would build this. That's what Everest does. It inverts the model so that the user's at the center of everything. 
Can I compare this to Estonia's e-residency program without the payment part? Estonia, and I'm, they were really one of the inspirations for Everest, is a very good analogy, but they have centralized control of, uh, okay. right? As most nations do. But they did, if you will, uh, they did start with the fundamentals of actually starting with uh, digital identity, right? You would literally, that's at the base of everything. And it's the base of Estonia. Um, and on top of that identity, then they could do e-residency, e-governments, e-payments, et cetera. Okay. No, okay. That's very clear. Okay. I want to get into the, the company's revenue model to understand. So are you making money off of the transaction fee? Yes. We do. Is that is that the only stream, or do you have other, you know, other all, different options? Um, we do have large organizations that come to us, uh, and they need some customization. So a bank might say, "Hey, we really like your onboarding and virtual wallet setup. Um, please, right, and we want you to integrate it with our bank." Right, and so we we do earn. Uh, a bunch on setup fees and customization to integrate into uh, what I call legacy systems. Okay. But other than that, it's off of the fees, uh, uh, transaction fees. Correct. Okay. And what year did you launch the company? Good question. Uh, 2017, uh, at the end, towards the end of 2017, I wrote the first check. Uh, we were whiteboarding a little bit before then. Um, and, you know, by 2018, in January, we were doing demos at the World Bank and UN Women. Okay. So. And what does the company's team size look like today? We're about a dozen people right now um, and getting ready to scale. Like we're, uh, we're understaffed at that point. Uh, so we have to go out and, and grow quickly. Okay. And uh, are you mostly remote? I mean... Put COVID aside, generally, were you always remote or did you have, do you have offices and staff in-house? Um, we have offices and staff in-house. Um, we have been a little scattered, uh, if you will, due to COVID. Uh, we're primarily located on the West Coast of the United States, so California. So California, okay. And um, are you planning to do any hires anytime soon? Yes, absolutely. Like said we're understaffed and need to need to go higher okay and well these are the staff that you're looking for remote staff or are you looking for staff based in the u.s uh, it'll be a mix so if you will we have we so do you're have open open to oh, yeah, yes yeah i say like uh we we looked at uh covid if you will we were built for covid like not only did the whole market come to us because everyone needs to do remote identity verification, remote account uh, building, um, right? Like, so the market's coming to Everest generally mm -hmm. and we built ourselves to be ready for that kind of thing anyway. So uh, even though we do have some people that come together in the same office, Prior to COVID, uh, I was doing 200,000 miles a year on an airplane. So I wasn't in the office very often e either. Okay. And so we, we literally 
our culture and our physical locations, we were built for this. Like the, we didn't miss a beat when, when COVID happened. Okay. And uh, what positions do you think you'd be looking for? Wow. We literally engineering, <laughs> marketing, sales, operations, like all of it. Like we, we're, we're in growth mode. Sorry, I was just writing that down. Okay, um, Bob, let's take a quick break to thank our first sponsor, then we'll jump into the economics. Our first sponsor is a company called TopTal. They have a global network to top talent in business, design, and technology that enables companies to scale their teams on demand. TopTal serves thousands of clients, including Fortune 500 companies and innovative startups, delivering expertise and world-class solutions at an unparalleled success rate with elite freelancers in over 100 countries. TopTal connects a top 3% screen list of the world's top talent with leading companies in days, not weeks. Visit toptal.takingyoutothetop.io. That's T-O-P-T-A-L dot takingyoutothetop.io and get an 80-hour no-risk trial period so you only have to pay if you're satisfied with the work. Get started hiring with TopTal today. Uh, okay, Bob, uh, I wanted to ask, are you bootstrapped or have you raised any capital at all? We did raise capital. Um, our largest uh, funder uh, up until uh, a week ago was a company called Mistletoe, which is... Okay. Taizo-san, um, uh, the brother of Masayoshi-san and SoftBank, um, mm-hmm. and led by Atsushi Taira of Mistletoe, who was uh, a SoftBank executive for many, many years. So they've been quite literally fantastic uh, investors. They've been patient uh, and you know, helped us when the market went down. Like uh, I just can't say enough about how how great uh, a set of investors they've been. Okay, and are you able to uh, share how much you raised? Uh, we raised in the neighborhood of three million um, over the last few years. Okay, uh, was that all in one round or separate? No, rounds? it was uh, if you'll staggered. Uh, from 2018 and 19. 2018 and 19. Okay. And here, this, this question here is for those who haven't raised, not sure how to raise, yeah. or where they can find investors. Is there any kind of suggestion that you have that people can, I mean, even for people who are not based in the US, yeah. They may not know how to go about even starting to ask for funding. So look, uh, the good news is funding is plentiful right now and you don't okay. have to go up the Sand Hill road on Silicon Valley to get it anymore. Like the right. good news is like they don't, they don't have the control that they used to have. You don't have to go to New York or Zurich or London either. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so my unsolicited advice is the funding will come if you figure out how to get customers. Like it builds something, right? As fast and as cheap as you possibly can and find two or three 
organizations that are willing to pay for it. If you can do that, the funding comes really easily. Okay. Great. Fully understood. And this next question is sort of to gauge the size of the business. I'm not sure if you're comfortable sharing maybe a ballpark figure of annual revenue. Yeah, we, we don't release that yet. So that's uh, still, if you will, we're a private company today. Okay. Not even a neighborhood? <laughs> nope. Okay. No problem. All right. This next uh, section is about validation and marketing. Sure. What brought you or how did you validate this idea that you wanted to start, you know, your company? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, we got early validation, as I mentioned, from the World Bank and the United Nations, um, which after showing a demonstration at one of their like open forum, you know, everyone, you know, just apply. Mm -hmm. uh, they came back and said, hey, we'd really like to do a proof of concept with you. And here's, you know, uh, a bunch of money to do it. And at that point, we realized like you end up with well, we ended up with what I would call customer intimacy, where you actually got like they showed you the real problem they were trying to solve, you know, and we just whiteboarded it together. And coming out of that experience, we understood a lot more of what the pain points were. And, and by the way, like we designed a product that coincidentally solved a lot of those, but we didn't know. We didn't know that until after that, that piece of validation. Okay. And, but how about even before that? So, I mean, you, you went to the World Bank and the UN with something already semi-built. Yeah, it was literally correct? a demo. Um, before okay. that, um, we didn't have validation. We literally, uh, I can tell you, it was based on a premise. Okay. Uh, the premise was that centralized databases and centralizing organizations were brittle. They were, it's not truly where the world goes. The world will end up more open where users get more control. And so mm -hmm. you can almost think of almost any organization. Um, Facebook monetizing your data. Um, even you look at Dorsey with Twitter, like he's saying, like he's going to open it because the users need to be able to like, it can't be controlled by that central organization. And similarly, even with governments, like they need to let users, if you will, be more free about their own data, right? And controlling that. And so right. we, uh, we made a, an assumption that these closed systems would eventually open. They might break and then open, but they were going to open. And so we right. designed for, if you will, a future that was, we thought was going to happen in the next two, three, four years. Okay. And uh, how, how many customers do you have on the platform today? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> gosh, I probably shouldn't uh, be revealing that right now. Okay. All right. Okay. And can I, can I ask how you, you got your first non-referred customer in terms of what type of marketing did you do? What was your approach to getting the first customers? Sure. When, when we had a couple of proof points, like for example, we uh, 
showed that we could deliver the energy subsidy for the Ministry of Energy in Indonesia and mm-hmm. work with BRI Bank, right? It's the biggest yeah. bank in Indonesia. Right. We were able to show that and literally do a case study. Now, when you publish a case study and you go, look, I can deliver money or value to anybody in the world, biometrically verified, and there's no leakage, and you can do it for a penny, mm-hmm. that got the attention of a few folks, right? Like that's, that's a bit of a breakthrough. And showing that case study brought in... Um, uh, more than a more than a handful of customers that said, "Wow, we want to do something similar." Okay, that that brings me to another question. Yeah. Let's say you you get a case study. Yeah. Where did you publish it? Good question. So uh, we did uh, we did it on our own website, of course, uh, but then uh, found that if you will, circulating it within the uh, fintech crowd and blockchain crowd, um, right? The guys that would care about this, uh, right. that's where we ended up getting uh, some traction. And is there, uh, where do they hang out? Um, gosh, it's usually somewhere between the nonprofits, e-gov and bank, uh, banking uh, communities. And so that's, you know, uh, our marketing people started targeting, I would say, those sectors online. Okay. And would you say, what, what would you say is your top marketing channel or outreach channel? Oh, boy. Um, to be fair, I don't think we've been very good about marketing to date. Um, that is, my co-founder and I are very much builders and strategists, and we forgot to invite the marketing guy. Uh, because uh, the truth okay. is... What hence we the hiring, <laughs> yeah. Hence the hiring. Yes, um, <laughs> we've uh, literally, to our own detriment, have not been able to tell our story eloquently or clearly enough. Because every time now, when I explain it to uh, a CEO of a bank, or a minister, or a central bank governor, uh, they all roll their eyes and go, "Oh my goodness, what did you build? Like this is." this is the next generation of everything. And so. Right. But do they say it in a good way or in a bad way? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like okay. the, the response has been amazing, but it usually takes an hour and a whiteboard and slides to explain this right. is the future, like period. <laughs> and when, when <laughs> right. It's tough to get that out in a tweet. Uh, sure. So I'm assuming a, a video is going to have to do most of that explaining for you. Yes. And so if you will look recently, we did hire some marketing people. They are getting, they're way better than what uh, we've been doing in the last three years. And the videos are actually starting to roll out. Perfect. And uh, what do you think of podcasts as a customer acquisition channel? We haven't done much, but uh, I imagine they're probably going to be pretty good. Is we're seeing, if you will, in terms of a broadcast um, medium, Twitter uh, and a few of the other mediums work well. Podcast, I imagine, is going to be, uh, if you will, right alongside those. I think one other benefit I've noticed from podcasts is the evergreen factor. Because, sure. for example, if you were to tweet something today, I mean, that tweet's basically going to disappear 
in the feed somewhere. Yes, you're right. Yeah, it, it okay. has staying power. All right, uh, Bob, let's take another quick break to thank our second sponsor, then we'll wrap up. Okay. Our second sponsor is a company called Bluehost. If you have a business idea and simply want to put it out there, you'll need a domain name and a flexible WordPress site that needs to be hosted on a reliable server. Bluehost is your one-stop shop for all things web hosting. From design and marketing services to easy-to-use website builders, they are with you every step of the way. Thanks to their 24-7, 365 days a year live support, which you can get via chat, phone, and email. And any and all questions you have can be answered in no time at all. Bluehost offers unlimited disk space and bandwidth, an easy-to-use control panel, one-click WordPress installs, and more. Visit bluehost.takingyoutothetop.io today. That's B-L-U-E-H-O-S-T dot taking you to the top dot I-O and get a free domain name for the first year. And you'll also get free SSL security certificate with any of their affordable hosting packages. Start your entrepreneurial journey with Bluehost today. All right, Bob, uh, to wrap up, uh, what's one thing you'd like my audience to take away from this interview? that Everest thought about and carefully designed and built what we think is the most free and transparent and user-centric platform in the world. That is, if we all think of, I call it the end of the rainbow, what does that look like? It looks like me having control of for my data and my money and my everything, and I can operate and interact with society on my terms, right? And users need to have that. And we built for that. Okay. And is there something that you, you'd wished I asked or I missed uh, that you'd like to mention? The only thing I'd mention is um, the magnitude of what we're trying to do at Everest and the scope. um, That is, it covers regulatory, legal, um, financial, technical, uh, literally the coding of all this. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that I didn't realize when I first started Everest was how good of a team we needed. Like we, you can't hold all of that complexity in a single mind. It's really tough to do it in two or three. And right. so finding the right core team to actually execute on something that profound with that much magnitude and do it well uh, required a, a core team that, uh, Really, at this point, I couldn't be prouder of like uh, that's to to build this uh, required some really smart guys and girls. Absolutely. I can imagine. Okay, Bob, uh, let's uh, wrap up with the famous five. Famous Uh, five. All right. (laughs) Yeah, these are just uh, five quick fire questions. 
Number one, what's your favorite business book? Business book, um, Art of War. Um, I know it doesn't fall in the business book all the time, but art, the Art of War brings everything back to almost in a way first principles for me. Like those are timeless lessons you can use in business every single day. Sure. Okay, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? I was lucky enough to have a couple of mentors uh, early in my career. And so going off of their lessons and literally staying in touch with them um, has been incredibly helpful to me. Um, so can you, uh, can you they are. Sure. You go back and take a look at uh, Jordan Greenhall, Jordan Hall of Divix. Um, what he okay. was able to do, and he built a billion dollar company and the vision and foresight he had uh, to do it was extraordinary. Like, um, so I draft a, a whole lot off of that, uh, the lessons I learned from him along the way. Okay. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for growing your business? Ooh. We do use LinkedIn a lot. Like that gets us to customers. It gets us to partners. Um, right? it, it helps with the institutional uh, uh, growth of our, of our business. And are you using any automation in LinkedIn at all? Not yet but you plan to. That's the plan, hence the hiring. Okay, got it. Um, number four, if you could give your 20-year-old self a piece of advice, or what did you wish you knew when you were 20? Advice to my 20-year-old self would or something be... that you wish you knew. Wish I knew? We all grow up with, at least we did uh, California with there's the social contract of like, go to school, get good grades. And from good grades, you'll get into the university and then, you know, you'll get a good job and have a happy life. Right. And I wish I would have told, understood back then that there are different paths and that isn't necessarily the right one for everybody, right? You can have a very successful, happy, fulfilling life without buying into that social construct. Right. Absolutely. All right. Uh, and the final question is how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh, I love sleep. I wish I could get more. Um, I try for seven uh, of late. Yeah, I'm getting nowhere near that. Um, <laughs> is there a reason for that? What's yeah, we, uh, we've, we're doing a bunch of launches of late and okay. uh yeah, that's literally the other piece is like uh, California is quite literally the opposite of the center of the world, right? Uh, Europe is nine hours ahead. Asia is 15, 16 hours. Uh, ahead, I see. Things like yeah. that. So like I'm doing calls at midnight and at 4 a.m. sometimes, right? Um, wow, so you have to shift some some part of your day. Absolutely. Um, so I put it uh, there. We might be a small team, but the sun never sets on Everest. So <laughs> absolutely. All right, Bob, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to, to learn about your company, to learn, you know, 
what what plans you have for the future. And I hope that a year from now we could get on another call as a follow up, you know, to see yeah. what's happened to Everest. I appreciate that. And look, uh, if you do make it to California, please let me know. Um, dinner on I'm me. Sure will. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. well, thank you so much and, and have a good evening. You too. Thank you. As a valued listener of the Taking You to the Top podcast, you're in good company. It has also been said that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That being said, by subscribing to this podcast, you'll spend your time with Rami and a collection of the world's brightest thinkers and founders. All you have to do now is to push the subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening platform, and you'll be consistently learning from the very best. Thanks for watching today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on any of the available podcast platforms so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. If you have an extra minute, leaving a review would help us grow.